Hello and welcome to Open Mind GFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we are here with Martin Dodo Willis. Dodo? Yeah, I don't know. It sounded Dodo? fun. Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wear that this week. Oh, you sound and hurt. I'm sorry. You sound like it might have hurt you. Yeah, I'll get over it though. <laughs> Are you hurt? Well, let, let me come up with something better then. Um, cool dude or um, bad mofo. How about that? I like that one. I'll wear that one. Too. All right, Martin, bad mofo Willis. All right. Yeah. There we go. Right. Don't forget. No, I was just yeah. calling uh, uh, calling you a dodo just because uh, we are just. Fumbling back and forth with the the Skype, and of course you can tell Martin is now on his cell phone, which sounds fine. You sound fine. You get so paranoid about the sound stuff. Well, you're right. I, I get a lot of email people telling me that I make too much of a big deal about audio. So yeah, I gotta let these things go. I guess a lot of a people do that too. I think that people get so uh, they. You know, Skype, when it is, everything is working well and there's a good connection, people get uh, so excited about that because it sounds like, you know, you're in the same place, in the same room at the same time, even when you're in different countries sometimes, that then when you go back to something like sounding like a phone, which is no big deal, that's, that's radio has worked that way for millennia since, you know, the, the dark ages uh, when they mm -hmm. first invented the stone radio. Um so, I mean, and, and it works, and, and people can hear it. And so, like, I'm one of those people where if someone says they're going to use their cell, if someone says they're going to use their phone, fine. If that's more convenient for you, no problem. In fact, uh, Paul is one of those guys. The guy I'm having on today uh, is uh, on the phone. But you can hear people find it, and the info gets across. And uh, often when people, if I can only do my cell, I tell them, I've got my cell, that's all I got. You want to do this or not? Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with this cell. Yeah. All right. So you have another Paul this week, huh? I do. I have Paul Stonehill. So two Pauls in a row. Oh. Oh, I know who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the this is UFO in Russia. Yeah. He right? uh, has written an article recently, and we talked about a little bit about that. But he's written a book uh, also called uh, Russian USOs. He wrote that with Philip Mantle. And so we talk about these cases and UFOs in Russia and files, and there's actually a bit of a similarity between the two Pauls, because I had Paul Dean on last week, and he had lots of government files, and, and that's what mostly um, Paul is referring to, lots of government or military uh, Russian and Soviet Union type of incidents. So it's 
really really interesting he's got so many so much info in so many cases um so it's pretty exciting yeah i can't wait to hear that one and then at the end of the interview we have uh some late breaking news want to hear what it is uh you actually can say it now no I was going to tease you at the and end, wait right? for, Yeah, I was yeah. going to tease you and then uh, so you would go, yeah, yeah, tell me. Oh, I have to know, you know, and then I was going to say, oh, no, can't tell you yet. That's all right. I'll just fast forward to the end when you upload this. Yeah. You didn't fall into yeah. my trap, though. No, I'm prepared. You're savvy mm-hmm. to my my tricky ways. That's right. Are you yep. still... Are you bummed that you're on the cell? Or are you bummed that I called you the dodo? I was just kidding. You're a bad <laughs> mofo okay. I'm, now. I'm... You're a bad mofo. Right. That's like the top. That's like as, if I were to, if you were to say to me, you know, um, one of your favorite heroes, you know, what would you call him? And I'd say I call him a bad mofo. For me, that's like the top. If I call you a bad All mofo, right. that means like, whoa, this dude, Alejandro thinks really highly of this dude. Wow. Boy, yeah. I just feel honored. You should. You should. I am. So yeah. let's talk about some UFO news before we talk to Paul Stonehill. And we always let you begin the news, Mr. Bad yeah. Mofo. And uh, I would right. love to hear what uh, piece of news you found particularly interesting this week. Well, this one is uh, titled uh, on OpenMinds.tv, uh, Indiana witness snaps photo of hovering orbs. Mm. I love this one. Um, mm. This happened back on March 2nd, 2015, but was recently po- recently posted by Roger Marsh. And uh, this is great. It, there's these great images of these orbs, and they look directly into a uh, like a triangular formation. Um, so what happened was this witness was driving at 3 a.m. in the morning, and uh, a quote from uh, them, I disregarded them and kept moving, the witness stated. When making a second round through the same area, I noticed three orbs were in the same spot, and I thought I may have been too sleepy to really know, so I stopped in the road and stared for approximately two to three minutes and realized they weren't moving. And so anyway, they got some great pictures, and you can see the the thing that uh, you often hear is you can't really see through these, you know, blocks out the stars when you're seeing a triangle formation. Well, you can see some type of, uh, I don't know if it's a uh, a jet streak or what it is through the sky, but it goes right through them. But uh, they are pretty much in a perfect triangular form. Um, and anyway, so they were just staying in one spot. It didn't move. And uh, the whole ordeal lasted about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, this one is so weird. I mean, uh, it, it stayed there. The person, which was kind of weird too, left and came back because it sounded like they were running errands or something. And uh, this is an area that they pass frequently. Um, but uh, this is such a weird sighting. The picture like you said, is really cool. I mean, it's, it's a really neat picture, and it's not obviously um, reflections or anything. I guess it could be a reflection on, uh, you know, on a, um, 
like a, a windshield or something maybe, but certainly from the description, it doesn't sound like that's what it is. Uh, and they're very bright orbs. And mm-hmm. like you said, you could see the contrail. Uh, that's what it looks like, uh, you know, up in the sky behind it. And it's hard to tell. These things look like they're actually low. Um, yeah, and they're perfectly shaped too, and ex- they look exactly the same size. Yeah, you that's know, another good is, uh, point. It's a, it's a great picture, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really cool one. This is a really weird one. I don't know what the heck is going on with this photo. So I agree. This was a, a really neat one. We've gotten a couple cool orb ones lately, um, and this is one of them. So, yeah, I'm glad you wanted to talk about this one. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yep. So another one, actually, well, another video that was interesting, even though it's older, that was posted by Roger. It's from 2013 and actually from Arizona here. And I know the uh, investigator pretty well, uh, Sandy Anthony, and she emailed me and she's like, why uh, is this getting brought up now? And she was like, "Uh oh, you know, (laughs) did I mess up? Are people... What did I do? I wondered if anyone ever did that. Wondered why, yeah. Why it was brought up. Yeah, did I did it get hoax? And I said, oh, no, uh, it's just that, you know, Roger will go through the archives looking for unknowns uh, and looking for some fun, uh, neat ones to post. And uh, this is one. So this is two lights. That, I, I guess if there were just one, you would kind of think maybe it's a Chinese lantern because it's moving across the sky. It's kind of a reddish, orangish color. Um, and this was taken in on March 16th of 2013. Um, and they videotaped this for 15 seconds as these things moved across the sky. And there were two of them, one right on top of the other. And, uh, you know, they never figured out what these might have been. I guess it's possible there were two, two Chinese lanterns. But then again, when I've messed with Chinese lanterns, those only last about five, ten minutes, not 15 minutes. Um, they're actually pretty short-lived, so it is an interesting are video. They, mm-hmm. Do you happen to know are they all like that? That's a good question. No. I think so. I mean, from what I've been looking at, probably not. I mean, but although uh, the ones I've been looking at, uh, and I did have done some looking, uh, are all the same. They're all similar. They're small. They have kind of these two little cardboard things on the base that have like a oil mm-hmm. in them that you light. And I haven't found any personally that are bigger, although I think there are some bigger ones that I've seen online, but uh, just not as popular. So it's possible, and some people make them, homemade ones. Um, And I noticed that um, in this record, there's an update that said it's possible that it's uh, two, like, uh, tandem uh, satellites. Well, yeah, Dennis Friermouth uh, is the chief field investigator out here in Arizona, and, and I'm a big fan of his. He's awesome. I think he's one of the best. Um, and so I just wanted to get his opinion. And uh, he said, mm-hmm. at first he said, well, I don't know. This is a weird one. Uh, and then he emailed me a little bit later. And uh, as usual, you know, he did some research. He's a great researcher. And he said, you know, I did find that there are at least this one set of satellites that fly in tandem. There's two of them. They're German. Uh, it's called Tandem X is a mission, and these are uh, two satellites that fly together, 3D mapping um, the surface of the Earth. Oh. And um, mm-hmm. so we posted, this is a possibility. He said, I, I haven't found it for sure. I haven't found any um, 
times for when they were passing. I'm not even sure, just a, a bit of information. And I decided to add it to the story just because uh, for other researchers, you know, looking that, hey, uh, when you see two things together, you know, it's possible this is one of the, the things it could be. But um, uh, he made a well, point. Well, here's to, a, uh -huh. Well, here's an argument against that. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, uh, as you know, that satellites reflect the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how you see them. And these are these are definitely an orange. Yeah. You know, so that doesn't make any sense as far as uh, as far as that goes, the reflection yeah. from the sun. Yeah, I think he just wanted to throw it in there as a possibility. But I think uh, he, you know, I agree with you that these are, are a different color. And uh, it doesn't look like this. That could be the answer for this one. So mm. uh, it remains unknown. So Sandy, right. you Isn't can. The, they, they do reflect. They do reflect the sun, not the moon, right? Is that what satellites reflect? Yeah, the sun. So, which is a good point. That's why typically you see them not too far after sunrise. I mean, the best or sunset. That's the best time to see them. Is is as soon as the sun sets and it starts to get dark because of the angle of the sun, and you will usually see uh, the satellites fade out or just like turn off. It looks like when they're yeah. not really turning off, it's just they're going into the shadow uh, uh, that the sun is, you know, from the earth. Especially, I used to live in Colorado, and there, so there are mountains that would cast these weird shadows. So you would see them kind of go on and off a bit. It would look like, but it's just the the nature of mm. the shadows. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that's a good point. So uh, uh, that's that is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Cool. Other orange orbs. Now, this one was sent to us from Charles, or his name actually, yes, Charles Lamoureux. And he's a UFO hunter in Vancouver. And this is kind of interesting. He has a unit. He calls it the Skywatchers Mobile Unit. And he's got cameras. He's got thermal cameras, uh, the heat sensing He's got night vision, uh, all kinds of different stuff, and he tracks, tries to look for UFOs. In this case, he caught an orange orb floating around. He said there were two. I only see one. Um, but uh, there's this orange orb, and he shows how he, he caught it on the night vision, but not on the thermal so it didn't have any heat, hmm. um, which is kind of strange. And, and you see this. He said he also couldn't see it with his eye. The thermal, the, the night vision he has is not like your traditional night vision, like the military grade. It's called a low lux camera, and it catches IR. So it could be IR light, you know. Um, Mark D'Antonio, I asked him about it. And Mark made the point it could be a reflection off of his IR light because these things do um, – broadcast IR if you turn that IR light on but Charles said he didn't have it on um, he said he had to change the focus and because he, he knows his camera so well that due to the focus he had to do he knows this thing was within 200 feet uh, so maybe a hundred feet away and it does move um, between him and some buildings at one point so he can tell that it's fairly low he estimates it to be I think around 30 feet actually or something like that um, uh, from the ground but uh, it's it Mark D'Antonio suggested perhaps it could be and, and he's the 
photo analyst for MUFON, he suggested it could be some junk blowing around in, in the sky, like a, a plastic bag or something. Um, but this huh. object, uh, others mm -hmm. said a Chinese lantern. However, you do see in the video it totally changes directions. I mean, it's moving along, and then it makes a turn and goes up and almost comes back a, a little bit from the way it came. So it definitely changes directions, uh, which uh, a Chinese lantern, uh, really, you don't see that happen. You do see gusts of wind kind of pick up trash and do stuff like that, but... Um, it also looks like a complete round orb. So this one's really weird. Charles feels it's really weird. It reminded me, and I posted this video, of this uh, video of an object in Las Vegas that someone had sent me. Um, and I posted where this, again, Mark told me he thinks it's a piece of trash being blown around. And it could be, but they make some really weird movements. Um, so, mm. yeah, so I think yeah. it's a good video. Yeah, I'm watching it actually right now, and mm -hmm. I do see what you're talking about. Now, did he say anything about what he saw to, in the, with the naked eye? Uh, I believe he said he didn't see it with the naked eye. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. It is moving pretty strangely, and uh, but you're right. You did mention earlier that you know the different shifts of wind if can make things move funny, but mm -hmm. uh, this really is pretty erratic. Yeah, he said that he was looking at the sky and he could not see it, ah, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird. Yeah, and then there's no heat. So that would be the only uh, plausible explanation if it's not, uh, you know, something that can be explained is kind of what D'Antonio is talking about. Yeah. I wonder if that is – it's really weird. That is really weird. I mean, uh, it looks orange. Maybe a balloon, a dark-colored balloon, because it's floating, I mean, and moving across at, at a steady pace. Um, that's what is weird for a piece of trash blowing around. It's usually more erratic, like the video from Las Vegas. It's kind of moving more strangely around. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this is a – I think this is a good video. I think it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's good. Good mm -hmm. stuff this week. Yeah. Good stuff. So there's the UFO news. You have any other news? Not on my end that I can think of. No. Yeah. How's how's the podcast going? Great. Good. It's going good. Yep. Yeah. Who are you going to have on? Busy uh, is. Uh, uh, Ronald. Uh, I forget how you pronounce. Oh, his last Ron name. Regeer. Yes, Ron Regeer. Oh yeah, you got excited him. Excited to have him on. Yeah, he's yeah. really interesting. So I think you'll find him. Uh, and he'll be in Roswell. I'm pretty sure he's usually in Roswell um, uh, in a couple weeks here when we all go speak up there. So uh, speaking for the, I'll be speaking for the newspaper this year, and I'll be with Lee Spiegel, Nick Pope, John Alexander, Keith Aram, the guy who did that Phoenix movie. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm probably forgetting someone. I don't think so. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be really cool. Great. Have oh, you been to Roswell? Be. I have never been there. Really? Yeah. And uh, But I don't know how far that's from Santa Fe, but I'm, I'm probably going to be there later this year. Huh. Yeah, it's still from Santa Fe like three hours, I think. Yeah, probably about three yeah. hours. Hey, if I get get there, then I probably will. I'll probably make the trip over. 
Yeah. But I've never been there during that big celebration, no. Yep. And if you do go to Roswell any, for anybody, definitely check out the Carlsbad Caverns. They are oh, right. amazing. Always they're, wanted to go there. They're mm. incredible. It is by far worth the trip. Uh, they, the Carlsbad Caverns are just incredible, amazing stuff. I mean, I love going there every time, and I'm blown away every time. It's uh, really cool stuff. Yeah. yeah, I've never been. Gotta go. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Martin. I apologize if the dodo thing kind of. It's fun though. Oh, I'm over. I forgot all about it. By you now did because I'm a yeah. I'm a, a bad whatever. So yeah, yeah. you're a bad. Mobile. I'm good. Dodo's good. fun too. I like uh, dodo. It's funny. I think. Yeah, but they're extinct. That's true, but uh, they're still. Yeah. Uh, kind of an archetype of this this funny bird i like them all yeah. right well uh thanks again for being on the show and uh, let's go ahead and talk to paul i am very happy to welcome back to the show paul stonehill hello how are you good morning thank you good how are you i am doing great and i'm really excited to talk to you about your book because i think uh anybody who knows of its existence will want to read it uh, because uh, underwater or uh, unidentified submersible objects, USOs, is uh, something that everybody's really interested in, but it doesn't seem to be uh, a lot of researchers out there looking into these stories. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> please keep in mind that while uh, people like us uh, may be interested and, uh, you know, spare time, whatever they can, government officials... Uh, Navy personnel, intelligence officers in the former USSR and modern Russia, of course, are vitally interested in knowing what's going on, uh, you know, uh, under the surface of their oceans, lakes, rivers, and seas. Mm -hmm. And not only in the Russian waters, of course, because, you know, you had the espionage missions during the Cold War uh, and, uh, you know, long, faraway voyages to very unusual parts of the world like the antarctica they did see quite a lot and reported quite a lot now whatever happened with the information after they reported that's the very interesting fact mm -hmm. nevertheless we have reports from the meteorological services from world famous explorers like vladimir lukin of the antarctica fame the KGB personnel who had to, uh, you know, explore this uh, situation on their own, and of course, uh, naval intelligence, very bright, very capable, very educated people. Are these m people in, that are currently in the Russian military that are really interested that you, you've been talking to then also? Some are. Mm -hmm. Some are still in the current uh, Russian uh, military forces. Of course, they will not come out and uh, say it openly. The secrecy is great, especially today with the flare-ups in the South China Sea, or the whole situation in the Pacific, the Arctic, and we have, but nevertheless, we have reports that, you know, from, from, from 2006 and on as well. Ukraine, too, not only Russia, but primarily Russian and formerly Soviet naval personnel. And mind you, a lot of the former Soviet naval intelligence and uh, just uh, general, uh, you know, Navy officers are still active and they speak out 
because they want to know, you know, what what's going on, and they're not afraid to share information. Mm-hmm. Do you um, think? Uh huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I'll wait. Ah, uh, dude, they seem to be uh, more interested in this topic than our military. Maybe, I think the situation is as follows: uh, the United States is intact; it hasn't changed over the last two hundred years. But 25 years ago, we had the disintegration of the Soviet Union. And once united uh, Soviet armed forces broke up. So uh, the oath of secrecy would not apply to an officer in mm. Latvia, for example, a former Soviet naval officer, or in Ukraine. So information came out. Plus, there was a very interesting uh, brief period of the uh, uh, relative freedom, especially in the early 1990s, when information it just was flowing out from the Soviet Union. Uh, and, and they got introduced to ufology of the West and tabloids and everything else. But before, it was a forbidden subject, for the most part, for people to get involved with, uh, you know, everyday people. However, the Soviet uh, army was engaged in the research of UFOs as well as the scientists. It was an all-armed forces program where they had to collect information on unusual aerial phenomena they wouldn't call it ufos you know mm-hmm. but at the same time they knew what was bothering their you know nuclear silos naval installations and so forth so they had collected information and simultaneously with this there was another program established in 1984 uh, where the general population was encouraged to you know to send in reports so it was like, you know, we, we, yeah, the UFOs do not exist, uh, much like our debunkers today, you know. No, the, the, you know, it doesn't exist. You know, whatever is flying over us, it's, it's not UFOs. But anyway, send us information, please. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When it came to the Soviet Union uh, and they're uh, looking into the, to the UFOs, did, did you find any um, evidence or any uh, documents that showed that they came to any conclusions? That's most important. I think at the very end, uh, my general impression is they are as confused today as before. Mm-hmm. However, in the book... Just like the rest of us. See, just like the rest of us. But nevertheless, we should not jump to those conclusions. That's kind of I kind of leave it up. I present cases. Myself and Philip Mantle, we present cases. We present information. We want people to come out to their own conclusions. But... There are a few cases in the book where we do very uh, detailed investigation trying to find out what happened. One of the cases had a very unusual ending. I, we don't believe it ended. This was the case of the so-called quackery, the phenomena that, uh, of uh, gigantic objects that had been chasing Soviet submarines in dangerous waters. And, uh, you know, we present the fact that it wasn't the Americans who were doing it or NATO, and you will see. And I think NATO was as just as confused as the Soviets about those unusual objects. Another case is about the so-called swimmers, um, gigantic humanoid, um, you know, beings, entities that operate at the bottom of deep water lakes. At least we know in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union and Russia, and. Um, What's interesting is that the first case, the Quackery case, was shut down in 19, I would say 1985, 86, 
without any explanation. The documents were taken away, and the secret uh, military intelligence teams that were sent all over the Soviet naval installations uh, were this, um, uh, you know, the members were sent to other organizations for research. It was very, very strange, but you, you will find out a lot. Um, yeah, those, far, I want to talk about those a little bit more. I mean, these are two cases that are in the book. Um, and uh, so you're saying that for a period of time, and this was the Soviet Union, they were being followed by some large uh, object. Where they did they detect this on sonar? Yes, uh, late. Uh, it was late in uh, from I would say late 1960s uh, through 1970s and uh, through early 1980s. Very unusual objects who emitted strange noises that mm. could be classified as similar to something like frogs, you know, you know, croak, croaking sounds. That's why they're called from the word quackat in Russian, quackery. Um, very unusual cases, especially in the Atlantic Ocean and in the North Seas, anywhere actually close to NATO, uh, you know, installations, but also uh, in the interesting uh, Pacific areas, not far from the Philippines. And the Soviets... The, had created special scientific teams of experts to go out to the oceans wherever the Soviet submarines operated to study it up close and other unusual underwater phenomena. This was directly, you know, from the orders of Admiral Gorshkov and, uh, you know, the Defense Minister Grechko. This was a highly organized operation, of course, secret. They also used scientific uh, ships that the Soviets had been uh, sending to other parts of the world. So this was one of the, just one of the, other, there, there were other, but this was one of the most interesting operations conducted by the yeah. Soviet Navy. And their conclusion, at least in this case, was that it wasn't NATO or the Americans, so, uh, so something else. Something else. There were they, they had interesting, uh, uh, you know, let's say ideas, hypotheses. That's all we can say. And we present them. Uh, so, you know, we also definitely review the uh, idea that it could have been the Americans and the American uh, observation networks uh, in the oceans. And we present views pro and contra, and also those who believe that it might have been some. Uh, gigantic, uh, uh, you know, ancient uh, animal living in the, you know, in the depths of the ocean, and a few other things. But, but it's a new. I mean, this was very interesting because different levels of the Soviet submariners and different uh, submarines, like the strategic or multi-purpose submarines, had different opinion of what they had been encountering, hmm. and there was no violent. Uh, incident, unlike in other cases that we present in several instances. So yes, did, mm -hmm. did the no phenomenon problem. eventually go away? Did it stop? What happened is that the uh, Soviet uh, naval intelligence just shut down the case, uh, saying that the phenomenon stopped. It's like somebody observed uh, their submarines for a long time, and not only theirs, you will find out. And then they decided to shut down the program. It stopped. This phenomenon had stopped. But it doesn't mean it will not be restarted. If you consider some of the waters where it took place, mm -hmm. some of the oceans. Wow, so that sounds really interesting. That's a weird one. And then what about these humanoids? So some sort of, how did they know uh, there were humanoids down there? 
Where, did they well, see something or? 1982. Uh -huh. You will see when when people read our books, I they will start seeing themselves some of the dates that keeps popping up: 1965, mm -hmm. 1979, 1982. Very interesting worldwide cases in our book observed by Soviet, uh, you know, naval uh, personnel, but all over the world where they operated. 1982 was a significant year in the history of Soviet ufology. And this was the year when the so-called gigantic uh, swimmers had been observed in the, at the bottom of the lake Baikal, and the local commander, uh, you know, to his grief, tried to have Soviet frogmen capture them. And it, it was a very sad ending to the story. And, but they did observe those beings. And so what happened is that after that, the, you know, one of the commanders flew to the Central Asia, to the shores of Lake Isekul. You will read a lot about that lake in the book and what's going on there, trying to warn local commanders and, you know, divers not to uh, attempt to capture any such beings. Those beings had no breathing apparatus. They operated freely, at the, you know, very deep underwater. And again, when, they would, uh, when the Soviets tried to capture them, they just threw the divers out from the waters. Now, we, we investigated this case as much as possible, and you will see a very interesting confirmation uh, by, a, you know, by a giant of a man, let's say, uh, in the Soviet uh, UFO, or I should say paranormal research, and a writer who also found out about this story before it was published openly. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting case, but also we present a confirmation of, of uh, the, such beings at other parts of Russia. Same year, in another part of Russia, there was a UFO crash reported by the scientists involved in the Soviet program to study UFOs. That program, we go into detail, was created in 1978 by the orders of the Soviet government. It was a two-headed program. One scientific establishment, the other military, to find out what is flying over the Soviet Union and what's lurking into the waters and so forth. As part of that program, there had been doing research in a strategic area of the Soviet Union at that time where there had been very many UFO intrusion reports over military bases. And the same year, 1992, there was a crash. We think it was a crash of a UFO. For sure, it was a crash of the Soviet air, military airplane. And an identical being was sighted by Russian military, and it came to be part of the official record of the Sietka program. But we also go into reports of the now Russian intelligence from the far east of the country, where they also report such being. And there, there is more. I don't want to you know, go into details. What I do want to tell you, Alejandro, is this. Very important. We do not concentrate on Moscow and St. Petersburg. We want people to know about faraway Russian lands in the Arctic, uh, lands like Kamchatka, Chukotka, Taimir, Yakutia, also Central Asia, Mongolia, areas where very few Americans or the, you know, or Japanese and so forth know about.
but there is a lot of going that, that's that's happening there a lot of records a lot of military reports and observations of very unusual objects that can do shape shifting that fly about separate of different dimensions some of them gigantic and again reports are right there for example report of the Soviet naval intelligence commander Damislovsky from the Pacific Ocean area and uh, you know when they reported a gigantic cylindrical UFO splitting into small um, objects that flew away and then reintegrated and you know the mothership just took off also because I don't want to forget we ask people to keep an eye on the Antarctic because things are happening there and the Soviet spy ships submarines other merchant marines had reports and we have you know visual proof and other about things that are taking place in the Antarctic very interesting Arctic the Arctic Ocean is definitely going to be making news more and more as they fight or the conflicts grow over the position of that land mm-hmm. and the Antarctic too and how did you how did you get a hold of these Soviet files? I have been since my youth. I had been involved I, uh, with, with my own research, and I've met people who had seen, you know, observed UFOs, military people. When I lived in the Soviet Union, and in the dark days of the Soviet regime, so to say, um, I found ways to get information out of the Soviet Union and uh, also get information in as necessary because I was very much for uh, getting freedom uh, to, to my homeland, uh, you know. But m- let's leave that aside. After the, um, I would say, late 1980s, especially in 19, uh, then in 1991, when the shackles came off, all this information was flooding out. But, you, you know, I already knew some people and um, I know that uh, Dr. Richard Haynes also provided me with some of the in- information that he has had some of the addresses that I did not have, and we started exchanging information. And I received many countless reports from the Soviet, now Russian, Ukrainian, whatever people. And, uh, you know, uh, I received underground um, publications and uh, research information from the organizations that had been created back in 1980s, some underground too, uh, about Soviet research. And then military reports, a lot was published at the time, and I have those uh, publications. Uh, Letters were being sent to me from all over the former Soviet Union, because they they had my address, I had nothing to hide, and it was very interesting, tremendous um, information that came out. Later it was more difficult in Russia in the 1990s and politics change and so forth. But still, still, this is only the top of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. You know, believe me, with all the information we present, hundreds of cases, dates, uh, reports, I'm sure there is more. Mm-hmm. And what about now? Are, are, do you think that they, uh, the current Russian government or military is still as heavily invested in looking at this phenomena and uh, are they, however, are they uh, more secret about it? Well, with the conflicts that are taking place and more flare-ups, 
I'm sure they are. Just like the U.S. government, just like as the Chinese government or the U.K., they are. It's just that it, it's becoming more sophisticated. They have to take more precautions because it's easier to obtain information with the Internet today. So, you know, uh, there was a case when, you know, after all the hacking, the Soviet, some of the Soviet uh, ministries ordered to buy typewriters for their clerks and not do any more Internet communication. So, you know, it's just uh, one story. But most important, yes, uh, you know, we're sure that they're doing research. It's much more secretive, much more organized than before. They have to because, uh, again, we have the situation in the Arctic. Nobody is going to give it up or relinquish control over it. And, you know, billions of, uh, you know, deposits of oil, gold, strategic materials, some of the reasons we believe that the uh, U, uh, USOs and UFOs flock to that area. Um, I am sure, um, you know, that, for example, in, in, you know, you, you take China or the Pacific Ocean with so many conflicts, of course they will want to know what's going on, on, you know, under the waters. They realize, if I know this and Philip, I'm sure they know more. They realize that if in 1951... Under Stalin, they couldn't stop a gigantic USO that was approaching Soviet waters with, you know, deep water bombs, whatever they had in their possessions. They couldn't do anything. They know that they have to under, they know what's bothering them. At the same time, you learn by experience. They're not stupid. The governments around the world, let's say the Russians today or the Americans, they understand that for some reason we're not being really attacked. If you bother UFOs and UFOs too much, they will strike back. And we pre present cases of, you know, Soviet aircraft that will never be found again. Mm -hmm. They understand it, but at the same time, they need to understand the nature of the danger. That is not something they can control. So there is research. Mm -hmm. Now, that's interesting, and and I guess just for the listeners who aren't aware, yeah, there's a lot of uh, land battles going on in the Antarctic, especially as the ice melts, and I know trade routes are uh, becoming mm -hmm. more apparent, and now there's battles over who owns those trade routes and, and everything, so yeah, that's a hot topic right now. Russia's very busy with uh, um, disputes all, all around. Um, so... Uh, from what you just said, it sounds like, uh, at least it appears that the Russians kind of view this phenomena as a, a huge question mark. In other words, they don't understand it all, but they do uh, understand it exists, that it, it affects them, um, and security, and that uh, so they are trying to understand it better? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the Russians, just because of the nature of the land, it's the, you know, it's the largest piece of uh, territory, uh, you know, owned by a government, let's see, mm -hmm. in the world. Canada is, the na is next, and I'm sure Canadians are not stupid, and, uh, you know, they're also very much interested in the Arctic, so they would, but also, because of the cases, to, to, to you know, took place so close to the Soviet borders, for example, uh, you know, the USOs, you will find out in the book that there's a certain attraction to the lands of the Scandinavia, Norway, uh, of course, the Gulf of Finland, very dramatic cases, and so forth. It's right next to the Soviet borders. Now, the Norwegians were also as excited, let's say, uh, you know, about trying to find out who the hell is, you know, coming to their waters, and, you know, the Swedish too, 
and they tried to blame the Russians, but it wasn't the Russians. I'm sure they had spy missions, but for the overall, no. Same with Japan, especially the uh, you know Devil's Triangle, uh, you know, and well, Pacific Bermuda Triangle, all those areas, and you will see. We'll describe it in detail. And um, what's interesting is the, the incidental sightings, Alejandro. One example, for example, a Soviet submarine would be on a spy mission to the you know U.S. coast, and let's say they would surface in a neutral territory, not far from from the United States, and all of a sudden they see this gigantic cigar-shaped object over them, and, you know, they start scattering around. You know, what is it, the Americans? You know, how could they have a ship that we have no uh, description of before, and this, you know, this is a, a cigar-shaped object that has no gondola, has, doesn't have anything. It looks over them, and then silently it goes right under the surface of the ocean. And then you have descriptions of others. One of the most dramatic, and we, we describe Black Sea in great detail, uh, of course, and uh, because so many things had happened there, I would have a report of a very unusual um, incident uh, when um, USO was uh, in the shape of a gigantic wheel that was standing up vertically, about the size of a 10-story building. And uh, Soviet scientists encountered it and looked at it and, uh, you know, for a while, and then it just changed uh, directions became horizontal and took off. I mean, this is just one of the reports. Uh, we have very unusual from the Sea of Japan where they had spy missions and, and all over. And um, when you start reading, you see similar cases elsewhere, but in different years. And then you start looking at the dates, and it is. You know, we're very proud of the information we collected about the faraway land of Yakutia. Uh, it's called Saka, S-A-K-H-A, Republic. Uh, very far removed, very strategic land. Some of the some of the areas nearby are still off limits to the uh, foreigners. We have reports by the Soviet Meteorological Service from 1979 and others about unusual UFOs that came over the land and USOs too that you know just shot through the ice and uh, different shapes. Very unusual. Um, 300 meters long, uh, described by the uh, Air Force personnel and others. All of a sudden, in the month of uh, October, something that it was, it was like a program that took place in that month over that strategic area and in the year of 1979. So we have reports of that. But we also have a, a report of Vladimir Lukin, who is the head of the... Um, mission in the Antarctic. Uh, by the way, the Lake Vostok mission and all that, that's under him. Well, he wasn't shy. Back in 1997, he came to the headquarters of a Russian newspaper, Anomalia, and presented the report that goes back, I believe, to 1984, about the UFO that the scientists were trying to investigate um, in the Arctic area to um, Kamchatka. That's, you know, another land uh, that very few people know about, and we have a report of a very painful observation of a few UFO that rose up from the waters of uh, one of their lakes, and uh, what it did to the people who actually had observed it some years later. We also have reports from the... So they had effects later in life? Biological, physiological mm -hmm. effects, yes. Mm -hmm. not, not good. 
Same happened about 1984, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you will see in the book about observations that took place in the Mediterranean, that Red Sea, of uh, objects that the Soviets and some other uh, people had observed, and what happened to the people that were actually in the area of the physical effect, where you know where it could have physical uh, consequences. Some people died because of that. Very interesting case from 1953, uh, from the uh, far east of the Soviet Union, a very interesting area, and uh, of a airplane, Soviet airplanes, is disintegrated when they try to approach UFOs and USOs. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a case where I'm sure the, the crew was lost? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the only one. It wasn't the only one. But for the most part, for the most part, you, you know, from I, what I observed from my years of research is this. There's a certain attraction to USOs and UFOs to the areas of ecological damage done to the planet, hmm. especially in the Cold War. I present information about the Soviet Union. You'll see the areas. I will call your attention to one uh, lake in Central Asia. If uh, there is a certain earthquake, powerful earthquake in the area, a lot of the countries lying below will, will suffer. And UFOs and USOs have been observed in that area, coming in and out of the ocean. It's like of the waters. It's like they're trying to see what's going on. I mean, the same we wrote about Chernobyl many years ago. Same thing. But there are other case uh, areas in, in in Russia, for example, the Altai Mountains in the east, and they have lakes. And UFOs and USOs are have been seen there. It's like they're trying to monitor what's what's being down to the planet, just like as the increase of UFO and USO observations during the final days of the Soviet Union, you can imagine if somebody had a chance to observe the fall of the Roman Empire, they would, we would. So maybe there are some observers from elsewhere who are being presented with this chance to see historical changes. Mm -hmm. And you also were saying then that at least uh, your observation, I'm not sure if you're saying this was a conclusion of, of the Soviets as well, is that, however, even though these things were here and observing that if you approached them or you messed with them too much, they would retaliate. Yes. Yes. Uh, there had been cases, not many, of unprovoked, unprovoked attacks, but the overall... A line is that if you really mess with them, they will strike back. And that's why I think the Soviets, I believe in 1960s and later, an order went out to the Soviet armed forces not to, not to fight back, not to touch UFOs or USOs. Of course, defend the, you know, your country, defend your installations if you have to, but basically do not fire back, do not, do not try to irritate them. Mm -hmm. This was the general, uh, you know, idea. Of course, you know, local military commanders would not listen, and they paid the price for that if they survived. And if they didn't survive, you understand, you know. And um, But there were situations where you couldn't control it. We have a case, very interesting case, that was in, in the annals of the Soviet naval intelligence. And uh, one of the top Soviet ufologists was actually asked to research it. This was an interesting case. The Communist Party did not like him because he, he wanted to study UFOs, 
so they kind of persecuted him, let's put it that way. His naval, his friends from the naval, uh, you know, intelligence and so forth, gave him a job to study USOs, because these guys had brains. It's not Marxism-Leninism that, you know, uh, that basically provides answers to the situation that you have at hand. They wanted to know what's going on. So there's a very interesting case about an eerie case, okay, about uh, UFOs approaching a Soviet naval depot. Uh, You know, it's like a maintenance base for the submarines out in the open ocean and basically flying around it, um, doing other things, an eerie dance over it, and the commander, he, he, he asked everybody on board to take details, because he didn't want to be called an insane person after he comes back to the base, because the, all the communications were cut. As we, this was an interesting case. We have another case, back from 1988, in another part of Russia, in the Pacific Ocean, where a powerful Soviet ship was basically rendered useless after a gigantic UFO came into its vicinity. They couldn't do anything. All the communications, all the computers, everything went dead. There were reports. We have reports from the KGB whose job wasn't to study UFOs, but there was a very proactive commander on site, very smart guy. I got to give it to him. And he made his... uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the other officers collected information about UFOs because they couldn't do anything. Uh, UFOs were right over them, you know, landing, taking samples, and so forth. And he wrote to the Russian, to the Soviet newspapers, and sent in his collected information and photos. That's interesting. You will see very active, very energetic people trying to get information and sending it on to the scientists including those programs I told you about and outside of that and all they were they were given red tape bureaucracy stupid answers because it was not a monolithical system uh and uh you know different cogs were, you know in the mechanisms work differently but the all overwhelming data was such that they somebody had to study it and to the extent they could the soviet you know military scientists did and we still don't know about a lot of the information that they had had. You know, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Who has it? Who has the conclusions? Who has? But we have enough to make people wonder. And please understand, United States is a completely different entity when it comes to UFO research. Mm-hmm. I found out that actual Soviet scientists and military people, former military people, let's say, and cosmonauts were more outspoken about the need to study UFOs and USOs than our people here. China is a completely different. I study a lot about China. I went to Hong Kong. I presented my lectures. And the Chinese UFO research is a completely different animal from from Russia and from us. Mm -hmm. Yet they have tremendous amount of cases. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, when it comes to the Russian military, what is the overall feeling? I mean, when uh, do they take? Do you have a feeling that today they take this issue more seriously? Um, whereas, you know, it, it seems as though, at least on the surface, uh, our military doesn't take it seriously at all. Um, in my in my in my opinion, there are some people in our military who do. They just they can't speak about this. And mm-hmm. those on top, of course, they're, 
they're interested. They just won't tell anybody. Um, the Russian military today, in my my assessment, is more uh, is more uh, organized than it was ten years ago or twenty years ago. More goal oriented. Russia is spreading its wings. Russia is becoming more a uh, more powerful state today and more secretive. Mm-hmm. So um, whatever research takes place, I don't think it's as widespread as it was before, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, because in 1980s, they didn't have computers that we mm-hmm. have today or the technical capabilities. And I think under uh, present government, there is a lot of reorganization of the armed forces and there will be a lot more focused uh, direction. So yes, I think there is research, and I think we should keep our eyes open on the Arctic and the Pacific uh, Oceans more and more. A couple of, of just clear the water things too. Um, a couple years ago, one of the Russian prime ministers uh, was asked about, I think, uh, I think it was a prime minister, uh, a suitcase he had or he was asked about UFOs or something and uh, he made a comment that yeah this is where we have all our files on extraterrestrials or something like that um, most people have uh, believe he was joking do you know what I'm talking about yeah I mean yeah he was joking this yeah. is a r- r- Russian sense of humor I mean that's right uh, you know no definitely oh he was joking of course uh, you know in every joke there is a sense of uh, seriousness he wanted in my opinion he let know those who need to know that you know uh, he updated people who needed to know that research goes on Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and the rest of us you know will take it as a joke where necessary so they know how to speak out maybe they had to present their point yeah because I mean I I felt it seemed as though it was a joke and there were some people who felt it wasn't but uh, and the other one is there's also an online kind of rumor of a uh, UFOs attacking a Russian base, like a secret base. Uh, do you know this this rumor also? Oh, there are a lot of rumors, and uh, yeah. there are rumors about uh, you know captured uh, aliens and uh, underground bases. No, take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there is no reason. I mean, if anybody attacks, it's not going to be UFOs. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be an equal fight. You know, there's nothing we can shoot down. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or bring from the, we already know, you know, the, 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 the objects that move at the bottom of the oceans, you know, close to the bottom of the oceans, move around with incredible speeds. We can't approach supersonic speeds. We want to. I know the Russians are building special aircraft, I mean, special craft uh, yeah, for that, but no. No, there are no attacks per se, but I'm sure that there are other encounters that are mm-hmm. taking place. And like I said, keep an eye on the Antarctic. Things are heating up in that area, too. Now, with your book, it sounds like your sources are mostly, if not completely, military. Is that is that right? No. Um, we also have journalists who are not uh, afraid to uh, describe information. Scientists, like looking, uh, or meteorological astronomers. Um, those uh, it wouldn't, just wouldn't be the only, only the military. But at the same time, uh, you know, in the last 10 years, there were quite... A number of former Soviet submarine officers and others, intelligence, who actually spoke out on Russian television. Very mm-hmm. interesting programs. Of course, we're you know the period was let's say from 1960s to ni- late 1980s, 1990s. What they reported. Still, this is very interesting. Uh, we have reports that 
predate what they said, you know, from the collection that we have on hand. And uh, we start finding out that their information, they come to the same conclusions or present the same information we knew about before. So that's interesting. And mm-hmm. So yes, I guess my I, point I, I being... I hope this will continue while, while, while they can still can speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess my Hello? point being that uh, your, your sources are, are very credible. Um, credible. And if there is a source that we are doubtful about, we either will not put it in or we will say in the book that we try to get more contact. I think there was one case where I really did not feel that we should uh, put it in, but you know, I tried to find out uh, more about that uh, journalist, and we couldn't, so we, 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 we definitely underline it. But otherwise, yeah, credible sources. Again, trained observers, military mm-hmm. scientists, uh, you know, air uh, air personnel going back to 1940s. Uh, you know, and people who they reported to, we presented to. It's not like some, you know, like we say in the Soviet Union that uh, one grandmother t- talks to another. No, we're talking about serious people and names. We present names. You will see in the quackery chapter and others. Uh, you know, we present names and ranks and dates wherever possible. Mm-hmm. So a, a couple of other things, kind of just to get an idea of uh, what people, um, how people think of this topic. So for instance, uh, you wrote uh, an article for us not too long ago about the 17th century and sightings, and one of them is kind of a USO sighting um, over a lake. Um, and there are paintings, and this has been covered, it was over Lake Robo Zero. Um, oh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that case? And is that case a very well known? Is that like this? Is that kind of like Roswell over here? Well, it's known now. It will be more known here. It's known in Russia uh, to those who are interested in UFO research. In 1663, a very unusual object was sighted over a um, lake in Russia by a church, and it was a gigantic object. It was well described because the person on on site was intelligent enough to to get more information this object would come back would return you know fly over the lake uh you know impacted with definitely physical uh, uh you know influence on the objects below including the water the fish people uh, it had uh, powerful beams coming from it and um it wasn't a comet because comets usually don't you know keep flying around going leaving and coming back and uh, very interesting case. What's interesting is that, I, we, I, you know, it's in the book. In 1982, again, remember the year of 1982, a special commission, which was from one of the institutes involved in this secret Soviet UFO research, Setka research, one of the institutes sent its scientists to study the magnetic impact on the soil and area of that territory where the incident took place and we present their findings too mm-hmm. so this was a definitely interesting case and it's still the the records of the person who collected information on site who uh, has eyewitness reports back from the 17th century it's still in the annals of the uh, you know the soviet scientific officialdom Mm-hmm. So this did not go away. Very interesting case. But wait till you read about cases that go back even before, as far as possible in the antiquity. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a very interesting case that I present from the area I'm from, Kiev, uh, Ukraine, 
going back, I would say, what, 1,000 years uh, or more? More. And uh, it's uh, a report uh, of um, unusual objects seen in the sky, and they called it uh, Sign in the Sky, Znamenia. And, uh, you know, and its effect on the people below and the population, and it's very sinister glow. And then uh, the fishermen down below find a very strange-looking baby in the waters. Mm. And this baby has is so atrocious, has such horrible countenance, face, that they had to throw it back into the waters. Imagine some of the descriptions of the aliens presented today of those who claim to, to encounter them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what would be done. This this was very interesting, but there are others. We also I so also they just to... threw the baby back in the water and and yes walked away. Yeah. Wow. Oh, there is more. We also want North Russia. Where there are chapters about North Russia, about the Kola Peninsula and the ancient civilizations that are being researched. Uh, even Nazis were interested in getting their hands to it, but the Soviets would not let them. Uh, you know, there are very unusual lakes in the north of Russia. There is also, uh, I call your attention to the so-called labyrinths, mazes that were made thousands of years ago, at the same time where we had great civilizations of Crete, Egypt, China. I, I also like to study that period for some other research, and I, use, I see a lot of correlation. Well, we have those mazes. Uh, rocks put in a certain uh, certain um, pattern all over North Russia, and they're called Babylons, and nobody knows why they're called Babylons. Hmm. So you you have that, and at the same time you have UFO re- reports and USO research from from North Russia, from the areas about around Saint Petersburg, uh, Karelia, you know. Uh, uh, also, we present information about you know Soviet and Russian submarines and encounters with. UFOs. We give UFO, USO sightings in international waters when the Soviets were out there on espionage missions. Very much we call your attention to the Pacific Bermuda Triangle and areas around Japan. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. The Arctic Ocean. And also, by the way, we, we describe the areas where uh, until a few years ago it was a state secret the Soviet discovery of the so-called impact diamonds, trillions, you know, deposits, huge deposits. Those are very curious diamonds, and you, people can read out about them. We present information. Well, something attracts UFO, UFOs and USOs right to that area. Mm-hmm. It's so very it hard, you, impossible to get to for most people. But it sounds UFOs. like you have a lot of content for upcoming books. Upcoming, we are, we have a lot about uh, you know we of course of course we 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 have separately we describe a lot about Soviet cosmonaut observations and also historical data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know what else is? Uh, oh, here was the other question that I had. Um, RT. So Russia Today. You know they're running more and more UFO stories. It seems, um, but uh, it's always a wonder because of course they always they often have a anti-american spin to their stories um are they making fun of americans or do they have a genuine interest in the topic because often they're they're bringing americans uh, often with really wild stories right. and it's hard to tell if they're making fun of americans or or not 
I have no res- respect for RT. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can, if they want to, they, I mean, they, 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 I'm sure they'll, they can write whatever they want. I, I don't like, it's a, it's a government mouthpiece, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and there are more serious Russian publications and uh, stories. So, yeah, those ones, uh, you know, but otherwise, I'm not interested in RT. Uh, you know, you can read up a lot of stories today on the internet from the from Russia, and you can find serious ones. Scientific, uh, you know, organizations are not difficult to contact, and um, for those who, who who want to study more, so I'm sure you can find more information from Russia today than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I guess finally, because we're already out of time, it flew by. Um, if I mean, I think all of this is extremely fascinating. So, of course, people can get the book. Uh, it was printed by the Richard Dolan Press. Um, so he's printing a, a bunch of great books lately, and yours is uh, the latest, I think, he's he's released. Um, and then where else can people find your work? Um, you know what? Um, I'm gonna, we're putting together a you know, page for uh, my books, but uh, basically they can... What they can do is they can read Open Minds on your website. You publish yeah. some of my articles, and people can see the uh, direction of, of my research, you know, what I do and where I study, and uh, it will take you more. Uh, you know, they can contact myself or Philip Mantle. It's not difficult, and we can guide them. We can show them where to find more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people can contact Open Minds to get in contact with either of these guys. Um, great researchers. And we might as well tell people now, um, this is because this is really exciting. We're working out the details, but it looks like you know you'll be presenting this material at the uh, 2017 UFO Congress, right? This and much more. Thank you. Awesome. Well, that's going to be super exciting. It's always great to to see your lectures. So I am so happy that you have this great material out, and you're going to be presenting it at the Congress. And this has been really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Take care. You too. Thank you so much to Paul Stonehill for being on the show. He was great. It's so um, much fun to hear about these Russian USO cases and to hear about Russia in general. Really, it's hard to find UFO stuff in Russia. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of researchers that we're able to communicate with. Um, Paul Stonehill is kind of the only guy. Of course, there are others who have gotten Russian UFO files, like George Knapp, who's a reporter for 8 News Now, uh, in uh, in KTLA in Las Vegas. But other than that, you know, uh, Paul Stonehill is really the guy. And as he said, he's got a lot of contacts over there. Uh, he's had an interest since he used to live over there. And now he just has so many great stories. I'm sure that when you heard his stories, you got really interested in his book, um, which sounds to be chuck full of them. Uh, Russian USOs. It's written with Philip Mantle, the UK researcher. We've had him on the show, another great researcher. And their book is published by Richard Dolan Press. So yeah, Richard Dolan, another UFO guy. Uh, But if you look up Richard Dolan Press, you're going to find their book or just look up Russian USOs. So some really fascinating cases. It's always wonderful to have Paul on the show. And it's always great to get uh, his submissions. So 
Um, we're honored that Paul likes to submit articles to OpenMinds.tv. He had one on recently, like we talked about. And we're going to be posting one here in the next day or two as well. So be sure to check our website for that one, too. Um, and we'll continue to post them. He, I know he plans on writing more articles for us. So I'm super excited about that so check back on the site regularly you can also go to the search at openminds.tv and uh, search for his stories in particular so again thank you to paul stonehill uh great show also thank you to martin willis for helping me with the news before he's not a dodo he's a bad mofo that's right he is always a lot of fun and he's always great so thank you so much for martin for uh, being on the show. In fact, not this week. I always go on his show and I do the news for him. But um, next week, I'll actually actually be the guest on his show. So I'll be on there the whole time and we'll be talking about UFO stuff. And then um, thank you also to Patrice uh, Sheridan. She had me on her show, Global Newsmaker Focus, which is on the KGRA network. And uh, that was a lot of fun. She, I've known her for many years, something like 10, 12, probably 12 years ago or so, like the very first. It was not, I don't know if she came to the very first one, I think the second one, but I used to hold these things called the Colorado UFO Briefing. So in the summer, every year, I would bring some UFO people to come for the day and, and do this uh, day-long thing of uh, UFO talks. In fact, the very first one I did uh, was outside across the street from the Capitol um, in downtown Denver. So uh, that one, we were all kind of outside on that, not literally, I guess, across the street from the steps of the Capitol. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I think she came to the second year and traveled from a great distance to be there. So I've always been very grateful for that. So it was wonderful to talk to Patrice again recently on KGRA. In fact, KGRA is going to be there at uh, the Roswell event on January 1st, and, or I'm sorry, July 1st and 2nd, uh, coming up here in just a few weeks. So uh, this event, of course, the museum has an event, um, which is always a lot of fun. But we're going to be across the street for uh, some talks that are going to be hosted by the Roswell Daily Record, the newspaper. The same newspaper that first posted the original story on the Roswell crash. You know, you see the front page of their newspaper. It's kind of famous and iconic out there. So, yeah, it's the same paper. Uh, so they're going to have me, Lee Spiegel, Colonel um, Holt, uh, and then uh Colonel John Alexander, uh, Nick Pope, and Keith Aram, the guy who made the movie The Phoenix Incident, who we've had on the show. And we showed his movie at the UFO Congress. So we'll be all there to do panels and talk about UFOs and, and do talks. And that's going to be a lot of fun. So that it's really interesting, too, because Colonel Charles Halt, who was involved with the Rendlesham Forest Incident, um, and uh, Colonel John Alexander has done his own UFO research. They really don't see eye to eye. They they get along because they're professionals. Um, but uh, it's always interesting to hear their perspective and uh, to see uh, them debate. And uh, there'll be some of us there to agree and or disagree. Uh, and that ought to be a, little, a lot of fun. Uh, also, 
you got a little bit of insight there into some of the speakers, at least one of the speakers for the UFO Congress. That's right. We're going to have Paul Stonehill. So obviously he had a lot of information. Uh, he's very excited about his um, slides and some of the pictures he's going to be showing at the Congress. So now you'll be able to not just hear his great stories, but see some pictures with it. Uh, registration is now open for the UFO Congress. So go to ufocongress.com. We have not released any of the speakers yet. We'll be doing that soon. However, you all as listeners are the only ones who have gotten a little bit of uh, some sneak peek uh, information there because now you know Ryan Sprague will be a speaker and now you know that uh, Paul Stonehill will be and we've got lots of other great speakers to be announced and some of those if not all of them have done shows uh, with us here on the podcast so you of uh, you those of you who are podcast listeners will be familiar with the excellent work that these people do so that ought to be exciting uh, other than that, you know, we've got new stuff on OpenMinds.tv all the time. We have uh, UFO uh, reports up on YouTube all of the time also. So uh, check that out. We posted one last Friday with some great photos and video, and we'll be posting one this Friday. Uh, in fact, some of the cases that Martin and I talked about at the top of the show, we'll have those photos and videos uh, up on our YouTube uh, news piece that comes out on Friday. Uh, otherwise, thank you to Caleb Hanks, who does the opening and close music, and especially thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for another great show next week. Adios, muchachos.